0: Good morning. Good morning. My name's Tamson. My pronouns are she and her. And um, there's there's someone peering through the window. Oops, I did not draw attention to them. (laughs) And I'm very good at subtlety. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm very good at welcoming and making people feel uncomfortable. Let's (laughs) look a person. Um, That's funny. Um, We are in a series on hospitality. Speaking of you know, being hospitable. Um, and, yeah, this this kind of whole topic has been quite... Not, I've really enjoyed reflecting on it, um, this idea of kind of where hospitality fits in our tradition, where it fits in our own lives, where the hospitality of God fits in. Um, and apologies for my slightly husky, ever-so-sexy voice today. I don't know. you <laughs> will either be distracting or... Anyway, it's just just laugh at the moment. Um, if you were here last week, um, we had a last minute, uh, Shane's family had, you know, a few a few family things and Shane couldn't come in and we, uh, Warwick and I, couldn't get the oven to go on to try and heat up some scones. So it was sort of a morning of drama, you know, minor dramas that sort of meant a little bit of freneticism before church. Um, and then, the lovely Lauren who she hires out the kitchen um, and has her own business, a catering business to make and just – but she made us some scones to share um, and vegan scones, gluten-free scones, homemade lemon um, – what's it called? Lemon curd, homemade jam – Um, and then we got warm scones, which was, which was worth the effort, Warwick. Um, and so we had a shorter service, and, and then we just all stood around and ate scones. Uh, Hello. Hi, Jane. This is another person that uses our building whom we love, and who presents beautiful things like this. (laughs) If you need flowers for any event, here is some we prepared earlier. Um, uh, Yes, so, so we just stood around eating scones and um, I was telling Shane about how sort of much of the morning was just scone eating um, and how delightful it was. I don't say that to say, well, you really should have come last week because it was wonderful. Um, but Shane said this, it was, made me laugh. Um, There's something wonderful in the kitsch of a church potluck dinner that I hope we never lose. <laughs> And I agree totally of just there's there's something wonderful in just somewhere in our church gathering. It's just the eating of food. We might dis- deconstruct our faith. We might do all of these other things and wonder what role the Holy Spirit plays or we wonder, who knows? But somewhere in the midst is just eating of food um, that I hope is a very simple, lovely part of our church gathering. Um, we hospitality essentially is just this relationship between kind of the giver and receiver in the spirit of care and goodwill um, and it's something I treasure thinking back in my Christian experience or just my bigger experience of it's a very embodied way of caring for the fleshy needs and honouring the humanity of each other um, so, yeah, so hospitality is sort of a very embodied way of caring for fleshy needs honouring the humanity of one another Um, I grew up in a home where parents had dramatically left their sort of church community and never really kind of been hurt and scarred by it a little bit and just decided to have a big break. Kind of lasted for about 20 years of not going to church. They just, you know, once you discard it, maybe church isn't for me, they sort of like, actually, this is okay. Um, But what it translated to is we had a very open home um, for people to come and stay. I don't know if it was ever their plan to kind of... Do that, but they seem to work quite well in tandem to open the home to people in need to come and have a room, have food. We always seem to have someone extra. Um, For a few years there, I shared my room, very small room, with uh, a woman who lived down the street who was kicked out of her home. So she came and finished year 11 and 12, sharing with a pesky 10-year-old me who just thought she was amazing. But poor thing. But my but but for my parents that wasn't quite a big to have us share our home Um, we had someone sleeping in our cubby house for a long time because they also didn't have until they got arrested in our cubby house fun times at the magnate household Um, but sort of as i think a little bit about hospitality and and kind of i feel like there was quite a healthy luckily we didn't have a negative experience of sort of opening our home which i imagine now when i think about i'm like oh the that's a risk. There's a, a huge risk in doing that um, on many levels. But for me, it just exposed. Oh, with what we have, which was house, we can offer it to those in need. It was quite simple, and that seemed to be how my parents grounded their spirituality. They didn't talk about God a lot. We just did that. Had a fairly open home for many, many, many years, um, and it was must have been looking back quite disruptive. There must have been effort, and inconvenience I don't remember that just because I thought you know how cool it was to have a big sister in my, my bedroom but it must have been a bit of an inconvenience it must have been financially costly it must have carried a little bit to it um and looking at myself now gosh I'm I'm not always very open to strangers um you would have laughed um or cried um the other – I didn't have a lot of time oh, – well, a few of my beautiful nap windows where I get to think about a Sunday. So, a small toddler decided to have, like, 20-minute naps. Not a lot is achieved in 20 minutes. And so, on Friday, I said, George, I just need to go to the library and just – I just want to ponder and think about hospitality. Just for Sunday, let me just get this hour of beautiful quality library time before the Lord reflecting on the goodness of hospitality – so I sit down, I find a corner, take a big breath. I'm sitting there with my notes. And um, I have to just have this really productive hour. Like, you know when you have that, come on, brain, this is it. We just have to be achieve great things. And um, I noticed someone was looking at me. Just in a way, I was like... And this woman walked over to me, and I was a bit like this. <laughs> Can you not see how busy I am trying to ponder hospitality? Um... And she said, um, could you help me? And um, she goes, my English isn't very good and I've just written out an application and I'd love you to proof check it for me. And my honest reaction was, <laughs> not right now. I've only got 25 minutes left of a really important hour to get this talk achieved. That was my honest, truthful, heartfelt, I really did not want to do anything Um just a demonstration of my beautiful, open-hearted hospitality of this person, but reality of like a stranger coming up to me. I would love to think I had a better heart reaction than I did. Um, I said yes, incredibly reluctantly. Maybe that they read my my energy of like, sure, I can do. Like I don't know, what I, but it was just this quiet. I just sort of giggled to myself of going, "What a funny moment of my openness to helping a stranger um, was." It's just it's quite disruptive to my plan. Of what that hour looked like um, and my precious 25 minutes Um, I wonder if anyone else um, has any stories of just hospitality their experience of church hospitality or of Christian communities um, where the kitschy potluck dinner is actually something quite quite nourishing to the soul has anyone got any hospitality experiences either as a giver or as a receiver um, that they want to share Oh, that's just a nose scratch. I can just have all the, the sort of humiliating stories, if you like.
1: Um, mine is a little bit similar to yours, Where So, at the hospitality house, we have guests come and stay all the time. And when we're on duty, like, you kind of got to clear the day to make sure that you are ready for a guest if they're coming and we didn't have anyone booked in at the time. Um, And I was like, great, I've got a day where I can finish my last ever um, uni essay, two and a half thousand words that I'd really like procrastinated really bad and um, probably had like 1,500 words to write in one day. Um, And the morning of, I was like, cool, setting myself up, ready to go. And then we get this knock on the door from this guy from Saint Vincent's who was just like in a pretty tough spot, who just got referred and just loved a good chat. And we were—he was just chatting, and we just—I just had to watch, sit there, and watch my essay just like roll away from me and just be like, "I'm sorry, I got to be here." And like the you know, he was—it um, was—he was someone who was like. He wasn't just chatting because he could have been doing other things. It was like he really valued that conversation and that space and the peacefulness of the home and just like the gentleness of the space. And um, yeah, and it was just quite a confronting moment of like, here I am with my like priority of like needing to do this essay and then just like having hospitality be this massive inconvenience, um, but also like an incredibly... um, Powerful conversation, powerful experience um, with this guy. So, that's my story. (laughs) And then my final essay of uni was, like, late and I got a deduction on it.
0: (laughs) You could put in a a note to say this is what happened. Anyone else? Yeah.
2: When I was probably in my early 20s, um, my dad used to run our young adults group at our place. Bible study during the week. And so my now sister-in-law left probably at 10.30 or 11 to go home and then came back maybe half an hour later with this sort of middle-aged man. Um, So she'd been driving home and I guess he'd been on the side of the road or she'd seen him somewhere and had this feeling of, I should stop and see if he's okay. And... I don't remember the details, but I guess he sort of said he needed, you know, he didn't have a place to stay or something. And so um, brought him back and like, found a bit of food and you know said he could have a shower and things. And then he, I think he'd called a mate to have somewhere to stay, but just shared this feeling that he needed a bit of help. And I guess he was um, accepting of that. Cut to about 45 minutes later, in which time he's been in the bathroom, we've heard the shower going on and off, on and off, strange smells coming out which I think were like bathroom cleaning products that he was probably using on a wound on his foot or something. I don't really know, but whenever we sort of knocked to like see how he was going, it's past midnight at this point. My parents have gone to bed. I'm kind of just waiting up to just make sure he's okay slash gets out okay. And eventually he comes out, there's just this really strong smell. that's a mix of cleaning products and something which is almost certainly a health condition and then he just leaves and you know, she drops him off somewhere to go to his mates. And the whole thing, it sort of strikes me as peak, like young enthusiasm about being hospitable to the stranger. And I think it I think it was genuine, I think it did that. But there's this part of me that just wonders I don't know if it if it really touched him or not. I don't know if it had that sort of payoff of, wow, we've really changed someone's life or he really appreciated it and And I always it's not like was it worth the effort, but there's this sense of um, sometimes it's not actually clear how it's received or if you've really actually done something good or you've just ticked a box that you sort of feel like you should, and it was just this the whole thing just feels like this surreal little experience that um, that happened. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it: yeah
0: there's this sort of surrender to. The care is kind of out of your control at some point, where the agenda that you came with doesn't quite follow through. Did you want? Um,
3: I think for me, hospitality is akin to community. So during your um, what you were talking about, I just had a memory unlocked of my time back in church, where every July would have a Christmas in July potluck. Um, and just the coming together of everyone, not just from the church, but the entire community, because it was connected to my school. Um, Coming together, sharing food, sharing laughs, and connecting in a way that we didn't really connect outside of that specific potluck. So we didn't connect in that same way when we were in church or in school groups or whatever, Um, but there was a very special connection through the hospitality of sharing food that everyone has created for each other I think it's that act of creating food and sharing food for each other that I think is really important and has that really strong connection with to me church and community yeah
0: it's almost a bit too simple isn't it you're like oh that just make some food and share it you know
4: Thanks. Um, I think what's coming up for me is um, this awareness of in my childhood I could see my parents and my grandparents have this kind of open door policy where people would drop in or pop by. And fast forward to my time, it, it would feel really affronting if people just dropped in. It's like I could be in the middle of something... You know, like, and how our life has become so busy now that we need to sort of check if some if it's okay to come by first. And yet, just a generation or two back, I think whatever my parents were doing, they just drop it and put the kettle on. Um, it, yeah, I just haven't quite worked out what that is, but yeah, a sense of things have changed in this busyness. ..and it impacts our sense of wanting to be hospitable... but ..unless we've scheduled it first or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that contribution. Because it is, as I sort of think about hospitality, I'm like, oh, there is something less interruptible about my life, you know, that I don't know what has changed, but, but things have shifted. Um... Yeah, but I appreciate that contribution.
5: Um, just to, I guess, like, help hold, hold the tension here, like, just hearing your story um, made me think of, like, one of the... I have a long-stalled thesis that I'm supposed to be writing at some stage, but um, one of the key authors I'm using is this woman called Sandra Sullivan-Dunbar who kind of writes about dependent care relationships. Um, and she talks about ethics um, across kind of, like, theology and history and the gender dynamics of them. And one of the things she kind of notes as she talks about that for, because ethics have been talked about primarily by men <laughs> um, in philosophy and things and in theology for so long, they're always talking about how to spend your spare resources. So they're saying, you know, you've got this excess time, this ex- excess energy, this excess stuff, how, you know, you have a moral obligation to use it well, um, which is true. Uh, but from the flip side across history, Women have carried dependent care relationships, so they're the ones who carry the kind of, like, emotional load who carry the children who carry, the elderly who carry all of those burdens and are often torn between those things and then receive the encouragement of, you should be more hospitable, you should be more generous, you should be more this, you should spend your spare spare resources better and just start going, I don't fucking have any spare resources because no one's helping me carry mine. And just listening to your story about hospitality being torn, going, I should have a better reaction to when someone is hospitable to me because I've spent my entire week um, looking after a kid and doing this and juggling that and doing this kind of thing, and now I've got one hour free to do my job, and someone's impinging I should have a better attitude. And going like, yeah, kind of, but maybe... <laughs> Naming the fact that you're carrying so much else in your load and stuff and your, your whole life is an act of hospitality as well is actually a really important thing to name in this, that um, it's not just about, you know, come on everyone, spend your spare resources, better. that some people already carry, their whole life is hospitality and is way down and sometimes overburdened that there is no spare to go around. And sometimes actually hospitality is for the rest of us Seeing people who are overburdened burdened by care relationships that they don't get a choice about, um, and going hospitality isn't just isn't just about the stranger. Sometimes it's actually about the person I know really well that I could actually do something about. Like, yeah,
6: yeah, it just makes me think about that tension between having healthy boundaries, and like I feel like often my values who i imagine myself to be and how i'd like to be living with my life don't match up with the fact that i actually like to have a lot of order and control particularly if i'm stressed and that i've had to really work towards boundaries and i think being in the helping profession that's really tricky as well because um like, how to manage that thing of listening to your resentment and not overgiving. And, like, I just think it's an ongoing tricky tension. And Rod talks a lot about that thing, about we're not living how we're meant to live. We're not living in little villages and communities with everyone looking after each other. But, um, yeah.
7: Just keep the mic around here. Um just really appreciative of the gender lens being brought into it and I was thinking in my kind of childhood experience of hospitality, I grew up in South Africa and all of the hospitality that I saw, like that were demonstrated in my circles and um, my family, in my extended family, my church, were across race lines. It was always white to black and they were not kind of across... Networks, and it's something that I have kind of thought about a lot in Australia, where there's uh, a much, like, very different relationship to um, people of color here. There's a, a much smaller proportion. Um, it's predominantly white people, and um, yeah. Anyway, so it's it's a very different. So I was like struggling to. Um, think of how I could translate those principles of care that I've been shown, that I've been demonstrated, and how that applies in a whole new country, in a whole new context. Anyway, I don't think that made a lot of sense. But
0: What I um, <clears throat> like about sort of what you pointed out, both of you, sort of the tension of hospitality of... I think even at the start of this series, I could feel my own resistance to the series. Like, it's like, a, oh, I could have predicted this series at my old church and would have been like, all right, now how are we all going to go from here and be more? Hosp-? Like, you know, like I was just, I could preemptively didn't even want to do our own series. Like, I was like, okay, what, what is that sort of tension of um, hospitality? And what I've enjoyed exploring in my mind is what is the hospitality of God um, and what is the hospitality, like a very embodied fleshy attention that, we offer that fleshy attention to one another, and we offer that fleshy attention to ourselves and our own body. So you're you're even a good host to yourself. And you, what does that mean? And go, what I have to give right now is is just all that I have in my profession. And so my home time is is what I have is my time of receiving, um, and that that is valid, and it's valid in a Christian context. You know, like it's not well the church has asked me and the invitation or the ethical invitation rather than the ethical expectation is that I'm always listening for the invitation of the spirit and that's sometimes to care for myself you know that I think is the discernment that we we come at this series with fresher eyes or newer eyes that have got the story of burnt out human beings and shameful and you know tiresome slogging you know there's like oh the hospitality is much more nuanced and it has the care um, I like the tradition that we have, sort of that um, contemplative tradition, which it talks a lot about we come to the table in the banquet of God to find our nourishment, and in as a nourished soul we can uh, nourish others when able, when life offers that. Perhaps completely out of when you've got children who've moved far away from home, like you know, that's when I have nourishment beyond myself. But now my nourishment is for myself and for my immediate world. Is that so? I kind of like the tradition of the hospitality of God is so central that we can come and find nourishment and rest there and the invitation of the Spirit is that there is an invitation beyond that. Um, I don't know, that's just some ponderings um, that I've had in reflection of some of that tension that I've sat with as well. Um, Hospitality we live in a very different world to not only our parents' generations but sort of the scriptural, the world of, you know, the Hebrew Bible and the world of the New Testament. But what I like about scripture is just there's so many stories about hospitality. There's kind of the meta, the big meta, big stories of God as providing food and nourishment for humanity and this world of life that is nourishing Um, and that journey of being a foreigner that kind of, the story of like even in Genesis, this kind of big poem about the home and then expulsion from the home and sort of the journey back to someone being stranger, guest, then adopted and then family. Kind of we see that across scripture, this beautiful journey of moving and we see it in the Israelites who... They were, you know, at home and then expelled, and then stranger in a strange land, and then offered hospitality of God of others, and then the invitation to offer that as Abel again, because they knew what that was like—that journey of stranger to 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 guest to family. Um, Meryl Blair will talk a bit more about some of those great stories about hospitality and who is the stranger and sort of the some of the blurry lines of stranger and God um, next week come along next week, but um, today's verse, we're going to just look at today's verse, which is a story of Jesus at a dinner table, food again, sorry I don't have scones, apologies again, Um, but yeah, we've got many food stories of Jesus eating, and kind of interestingly often as a guest, not always, he's not in the host role, but he's often in guest of other people's hospitality, so he's in a receiving role. Um, and this story is a table of a Pharisee, a religious zealot, um, who seemed to be less about making space for people than catching people out in disobeying the law, um, the right and wrong. So the Pharisee's default position is is not necessarily uh, unconditional welcome. It's perhaps conditional welcome. I welcome you kind of with my eye on how are you behaving in line with sort of the, the, the strict rules of of, um, uh, the world around them. Um, so we'll read the scripture and maybe have a little look at who is the guest, who is the receiver, who is the giver, um, in this dynamic, in this story. Um, it is a different context, it is a very different world than our world, but maybe observe any nuance that you see in the giver and the receiver roles. Is anyone feeling like, I really, really want to read scripture today? I came, I woke up and thought, Church is my opportunity to read the word. Anyone wake up with that urge? What was that? It's Warwick's calling. Warwick, shh. I love that sort of like suggested volunteering. Um, Warwick, do you feel like your calling this morning is to, I'm not even using my little, I'd, um, I'm not going to jump here. Would you like, it you happy to read above or read from near?
8: uh, (laughs) One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner. Jesus went to his house and reclined at the table. A woman who had a low reputation in that town came to the house. She had learned that Jesus was dining with the Pharisee, so she brought with her an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. She stood behind Jesus crying, and her tears fell on his feet, Then she dried his feet with her her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with oil. When the Pharisee saw this, he said to himself, If this fellow were the prophet, he'd know who this woman is that is touching him, and what a low reputation she has. In answer to the Pharisee's thoughts, Jesus said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a creditor. One owed the creditor the equivalent of two years' wages, the other two months' wages. Both were unable to pay, so the creditor wrote off both debts. Which of them was more grateful to the moneylender? Simon answered, I suppose the one who owed more. Turning to the woman, he said, see this woman, I came into your house and you gave me no water to wash my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and dried them with her hair You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she has covered my feet with kisses. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with oil. For this reason, I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. See how much she loves. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. Those also sitting at the table began to ask among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Meanwhile, Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
0: I might just jump back to um, any observations on sort of the giver receiver roles in this I agree. How and what doing. that and the way that is calling
6: everyone
0: out. It's actually really It's awk, it's awk, yeah, it's. Yeah. <laughs> It's so that's it's it's very it's kind of very jar. I find it quite jar, prim, prim, jarring. You know, even sort of looking in sort of the pictures of the woman, seeing this woman lying like, like like this one, kind of the difficulty of just seeing a woman lying at the feet of like a feet of a man, and that somehow being lauded as, you know, like it, the difficulty of perhaps that kind of points out the difficulty, the jarring nature of the the role of women in that context, and the woman who. For desperate, for whatever reasons, was was in a, a role of low reputation. Some would call that was was in it, stuck in prostitution in a which was a very disempowering kind of lowest rung of society, not voluntarily chosen lifestyle, but a a very sort of impover you know difficult and had no place in society and no value in society, um, and for 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 her to be kind of not grovelling, but kind of in this, this heart. I think it's all, I think, let's just call that a very, very abrupt kind of story. Well, you to
3: speak
0: one of
3: the other, um, as well, one of the other uncomfortable things there is that she's in this lowly position in society and then Jesus coming in saying, well, your sins are forgiven, as if that's fixed everything for her. She's now, like, financially stable, um, not having to worry about all that kind of stuff. It's like, well... Is this really hospitality that helps people? You know.
0: Yeah, I think that the remarkable thing is that this story is in has been retold in this book at all. Like that, this is seen as something significant. Jesus' reaction was something significant, and like if we had a midrashic tradition where we sort of got to craft stories of that are missing. We might find the story of this woman post this event. What what did this restoration of and this prophet and this person who everyone's coming to listen to and suddenly this prophet is saying, you are, sometimes forgiveness of sin is such a triggering term for me. I don't know about all of you, but triggering, uh, I often think of it as restoration of connection um, is a helpful term. When I ever see the word sin, I just think restoration of connection. It's restoring something that has been disconnected, either with oneself, with God, with planet. Like there's just, it's restoration. So kind of your disconnection has been healed is maybe a rewording, how I might do it. Might It just helps me. hmm physical disconnection S- social absolute, and restored back into community and kind of something has been taken off a stain that has been removed
7: Jesus's passivity in this bugs me so much. He just gets, like, things get done to him and he, like, names things in the in the scenario. But, um, yeah, like, with him naming the the rules of hospitality that haven't been shown to him, he's also breaking that rules by being rude to his host. <laughs> and, like, I just find the way he kind of orchestrates the whole scene, like a piece of theatre. And, yeah, it's kind of uncaring of the... Like, is it going to be heard that he's forgiven this woman's sins if the Pharisee is questioning, you know, who is this guy who's just like, your sins are forgiven? Like, cool. (laughs) Um, Like, what effect, yeah, the kind of theatrical orchestration of it really bugs me. It's like very puppet stringy master. Um,
0: And, in like, there's different stories of Jesus being anointed in each of the Gospels. And in another Gospel, there's the reference of, this woman shall be remembered in the telling of the scripture forevermore. Like there's kind of in the light of who is this woman, where does she live in our narrative? That's a different story um, to this, but we're talking about this woman. You know, there's kind of the record is empowering in just the recording of something. There's a lot that's buggy, but there's sort of that, the record of a story that broke social boundaries had power in itself, I think.
1: Firstly, that's so disrespectful. This is Jesus we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me, the thing that clashes is, like, how it's, like, an example. He doesn't even really meet her, my feeling. is like, she's um, at his feet and then he's sort of just, like, let me tell you a story about, like like, let's use this, let me not meet you in your, your humanity, but I'm just going to, like, make a story and make an example out of you for the learning of the Pharisee. Um, yeah, and that clashes with me. It's like, actually, for me, what's in, what should be important in that moment is him meeting her humanity, not, like, a learning moment for that Pharisee. Um, yeah, that's what I jar with.
6: Um, but then I'm wondering as well, like Jesus didn't ask for her to do that. He's potentially got this really distressed woman full of shame, hysterical cry at his feet. He's okay, sorry. <laughs> big emotions, big valid emotions <laughs> that she's experiencing. Like he's got this ability also. Potentially to sit with a lot of discomfort. And whereas a lot of people might go, no, 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 and try and stop it shut it down. You don't need to do this. Actually, he's tolerated this big discomfort. Maybe her distress is about sort of saying, I'm such a sinner. I'm so awful. So he's kind of naming what's already present and actually potentially restoring some of her dignity in that ability to sit in this very uncomfortable moment. Like, he's not necessarily... Is he using this opportunity for a big teaching moment or is he just sitting with a lot of discomfort that we'd prefer to sort of shut down and quietly move her on and just be polite? Like, he's not being polite here.
5: Like, this was, this was like, written by first century men. Like, like, so their description of what happened is their interpretation of what they took from it and what they're trying to tell their audience this much time later. And so, like, I think sometimes we need to, like, nuance our lens of Jesus in this of going, like, this isn't necessarily everything that Jesus did and exactly what happened. This is some authors who are trying to tell a very particular story in a very particular context to a very particular people, framing this whole thing up to shame a bunch of people, namely Pharisees and their um, 70 year or later counterparts that they were warring with. Um, <laughs> you know, the Pharisees get a hard run because they're parallel to people who kicked them out of the synagogues. Um, that, that there's potentially a whole lot more got, that actually went on in that moment um, and then there's other quick aside is that, like, a lot of feminist theologians will say that Jesus' practice of washing the disciples' feet was learned from. Sorry if I stole your... Yeah, was learned, was learned from this woman and was his tribute to, I knew what it was to receive hospitality, and that is what the divine is, and I will now stamp that practice, like, and shame my disciples for not doing that themselves when this woman could, like... I'm going to give it back to Tamsin.
0: I, I just don't want to lose the time. Just we're just we're just getting close. I just don't want. I would want to be like mindful. I can see so much. Going. Um, but I did just I guess kind of go, walk from there of this the the interplay between who is the giver and who is the receiver and the power dynamic in that that sometimes Jesus seemed to blur um, and and almost the playful interaction between. Um, that one is no one is never just a giver, and one is never just a receiver, um, and one that the beyonding ourself, it's kind of Christ Jesus sort of is saying, there's something of truth and love found in the other, and I'm not immovable from them. Um, I I sort of posted this on the on the um, the Facebook uh, post of just. Um, Besides the little character looking a bit sad, <laughs> but just this kind of idea of kind of affect, you know, the mutual transformation in the practice of making space for others um, in the welcoming of someone. One is never just unmoved. Maybe in, the, in Stu's case you're not sure how the affect happened Of, but even in the memory of, of that story um, there's a God that's saying these lines are blurry um, and that um, what's what's radical about hospitality is that um, there is the gift of something in the other and that we are never to be so uh, autonomous and so um, kind of of our own self that we're never unable to be moved by the other and that we never don't need something of the other. We always, the kind of invitation is the softening of that abrupt autonomy. There's a Beyond us is a truth that we might only ever find beyond us. Our spiritual walk is within, and uncomfortably, and painfully, and frustratingly, and time frustratingly, is sometimes there is the truth of God found beyond this barrier of myself and found in the other, and and I guess the story a little bit sort of um, of Christ points that Christ finds truth. ...in the receiving and in the giving. Um, uh, And this is a God who is not above being moved by our experience... ...and invite us to offer our experience to other. Um, A God that says radically so... ...that when we are more than stranger... ...we're more than guest... ...and we are now adopted into the family and community of God... ...and that parts of our life will tell that to others as well. That they are more than stranger, they're more than guest and now they are also adopted into the community of God, however that looks. Um, given the time, we might sort of put a pause on on that as we think about communion. There's so much... In hospitality, we sort of pull apart hospitality, and, and then as we pull any, any scripture out, we're like, well, there's a minefield of a million things we can uh, wrestle with. But um, hospitality throughout many cultures is sort of a practice that is kind of seen as really significant. And in a Celtic you know, context, there's often um, a sign above many Celtic houses and and sort of, I won't even attempt to bring out the Gaelic because I will butcher it, but but a, a thousand welcomes is kind of the sign of a thousand welcomes. And we're challenged because our lives and our, the structure of our world, beyond even our control, means that a thousand... World, I, I'm not necessarily opening my door to a thousand people, my actual door. Um, but we're just reminded of that today, of just what is our role as giver, what is our role as receiver. Um, and rather than being a huge expectation, be more hospitable to just go, oh, maybe we play with that, maybe... We just allow the interruptions of others again, especially even post-COVID. So we're going to gather around in a circle. You're more than welcome to not gather in that circle. You're more than welcome to partake. You're more than welcome not to partake. Um, And I'm going to get Annika to read a rune of hospitality, which is a song. This is sort of another word for a song of hospitality with one or two words changed. Sort of an Irish blessing, um, just to acknowledge that love is sometimes found at the table that we we feast upon, but sometimes it is found in the other beside us as well um, as we soften kind of hospitality with soft edges, I suppose. Um, this image, it's not a banquet, it's not scones, I've said that many times now, but, um, but this is a model, of like a dramatic sort of reincarnation of the God who welcomes us at the banquet table again and again each week, each week, and we participate, we are fed, we are nourished, um, and then... As nourished people, we at times can offer that beyond ourselves. Um, But sometimes we just need to be nourished. So let's gather around. Annika will read the Rune of Hospitality, a very old Celtic rune, and then we will partake in... in. So perhaps take the elements if you would like to. We'll stand in a circle and um, I'll hand the mic to Annika.
7: familiar stranger I saw a stranger today I put food for them in the eating place and drink in the drinking place and music in the listening place in the holy name of the Trinity they blessed me and my family and the lark said in her warble often 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 goes Christ in the stranger's guise oh oft and oft and oft goes love in the stranger's guise